Welcome to the IESA podcast. I am Jason Neville, Director of Social Media and Publications for IESA. Today we continue our series highlighting Illinois' three lighthouse districts. What is a lighthouse district? In May, AASA, the National Superintendent Association, designated 13 districts across the country as lighthouse districts that serve as models of positive change in public education. The selective designates designates are members of AASA's Learning 2025 network. We highlighted Harvard CUSD 50 and the work their district has done around dual language. And then in our last episode, I spoke to to Dan Bridges in Naperville, and he shared the tremendous progress their district has made with social-emotional learning. In this episode today, I'm speaking to Dr. David Schuler about uh, future-ready learners, and integrated pathways in career-connected learning. Dr. Schuler is superintendent of High School District 214 in Arlington Heights and is former National Superintendent of the Year. Dr. Schuler, thank you for joining us. Can you kind of say a little bit about yourself and your school district? Uh, thanks, Jason. It's an honor to be with you and with our colleagues today. Um, district 214 is in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. We have six comprehensive high schools and a specialized school housing uh, for alternative school programming. We have about 11,500 students, uh, a lot of diversity in different parts of our district. Um, and we're very, very honored and thrilled to be recognized as a lighthouse district. Cool. Yeah, we kind of, I kind of touched on earlier how there's 13 lighthouse districts, each has a specific focused area. Uh, district 214 high school districts, uh, there's a big focus on sort of the, the career pathways, career connected learning, this whole kind of future ready idea. Let's just start out by kind of giving an idea of our listeners just what this sort of looks like, this program looks like in District 214. Sure, uh, Jason. For us, it's really important that we don't focus on graduation as an endpoint, but rather our focus is on how successful our students are after they graduate. So it's imperative upon us to make sure that we're providing access and opportunity for all students to be able to experience work-based learning experiences and identify what a career area of interest may be that they want to explore to decide if it's what they want to do or in some cases what they don't want to do. Um, Future ready, why is this kind of concept of preparing students kind of beyond the future so important to you? Well, I think hopefully you and all of uh, the listeners out there can agree with me that the world is transforming itself faster than it ever has in the history of the world. And it's the slowest it will ever change in the rest of our lives. And if we think about that, that model, that mindset, it's really incumbent upon us to prepare future ready learners who can access a family supporting wage job and to be able to successfully navigate jobs that don't even exist today. And in a world that's going to transform itself several times over our students' work lives. So what we're preparing and how we're preparing our students must look different than it did 15, 20, 70, 90 years ago. And in so many places of this great country, classrooms look the same as they did 100 years ago. And that's not the case in 214 because our staff and our students know that that's not going to help propel them to success post high school graduation. You know, we're, we're talking a lot about sort of career pathways and stuff, but you know, I don't believe academics and career pathways is is an either or proposition. But as your district kind of faced when you talk about career pathways and the work you're doing, has there been any backlash? Are you facing any concerns? I just kind of asking you about striking that balance between the academics and the, the pathways route. Yeah, Jason, I think that's a really great question to ask. 
So we talk a lot in our even handbook is our academic and career pathways handbook. So we, we completely marry the two together because one can't be independent of the other. And so, you know, we may have uh, students in our finance pathway taking all kinds of math and accounting classes. We have students in our law pathway that are taking a whole bunch of social studies classes. And so our core is completely um, integrated into our core pathway programs. And so it's not one or the other. It blows my mind when people say, well, um, career career programming is for those students who are going to enter the workforce immediately upon graduation. And I say, Yes, that's part of it, but don't you want your student who goes to a two or a four-year institution of higher ed to get a job at some point? <laughs> you know, like everybody should be career ready by the time they leave high school or be prepped for the next step on their career ready journey to be able to successfully navigate that two or four-year institution. When did your district uh, start to begin this uh, journey? That's also a really important point because if you ever come up and visit, we've really created a very robust program uh, in District 214, but we didn't start that way. And so it's been about 10, 12 years since we launched our first pathway. And then we gradually built out pathways based on our labor market need in our area. And so, uh, you know, we started with healthcare and with manufacturing, and we've just continuously built out from there. And, you know, we now have a classroom at our, our local airport, Chicago Executive Airport, where our kids, you know, learn how to work on airplane uh, engines and uh, work on their flying license. So it's pretty wonderful. We have great higher ed partners, but I would just say to everybody, don't get overwhelmed. If you haven't started yet, start. If you've started, continue to grow and build uh, each year and make sure that you're always looking for opportunities and leverage to expand. You know, so if an external work-based learning partner is offering a job shadow experience one year, ensure that that employer is going to have such a great experience with your students that the following year they're going to want a two or three week intern being placed in their building. And so, you know, it's just always thinking about how can we continue to gradually scale out to meet the needs and opportunities and access for all of our students. Kind of want to sort of continue on just sort of the idea of advice and sort of helping other superintendents who might be interested in sort of uh, either starting, building, or expanding uh, programs like this in their districts. Uh, I was looking a little bit at you guys, your, your presentation that you've given uh, kind of in the past at some AESA events. Can you kind of describe a little bit of the program development process uh, that you found successful in 214? Sure, absolutely. So uh, we always start with ideation. So an idea comes up from uh, either a staff member, could be a member of the community, um, that we would pull together an advisory group of experts in the field, which is super important because we need to know exactly what our students are going to need to learn in order to successfully access those jobs post-graduation. So um, even after we've completely developed a pathway, we still go back on a regular basis to those advisory groups to make sure that what we're teaching is aligned with the current best practice. So once we have the advisory group, then we'll begin to, to build out what that curriculum and what that pathway might look like. First year course is always gonna be an exploration course, which is going to ensure that students get a broad base of information about what that pathway is all about. Then as you go to your second and third courses, it's gonna be much more focused depending on whatever the pathway is. Um, and then the final course, that capstone experience, will include either a post-secondary credential, early college credit, um, or an industry credential. 
Um, and so we want to make sure that all of our students are graduating with a diploma plus, meaning plus a credential, plus a certification, or plus early college credit in that space. And so it's been wonderful. Our teachers are awesome at coming up with new ideas for new pathways. And, um, and our students have been you know, really excited to take advantage of them. The importance of the, the ideation component, I kind of want to hit a little bit more on that. Because um, it sounds like that it's not uh, Dave Schuler telling people what program, apprentice program we need to start. It's, there's more of a grassroots level to it. Can you talk about why it's important to have it uh, cultivate that way? Oh, certainly. Yeah, I've not offered one idea related to uh, to a pathway. It really has been supporting individuals coming to us with pathways based on student interest and uh, and uh, staff interest and labor market need. You know, and so we're working on a sustainability and energy creation of a new pathway right now. And it's been wonderful to engage our science teachers in uh, in that work. They're really excited about it. Um, our uh, social studies teachers developed uh, the initial impetus for our public service and government pathway, which has been really cool. And so, you know, from my perspective, you really need ownership of the individuals who are going to be teaching the class and really um, sharing information and excitement and energy about why students should consider to take that pathway in that course um, in order for it to be the best pathway it can be. Um, having teachers really fired up and excited about their work, um, I think is just absolutely awesome. You know, I think there's a misconception, I would suggest, that a lot of teachers got into teaching because they love to teach. And I would argue that a lot of teachers got into teaching because they love to learn. And during No Child Left Behind, we sucked a lot of the love and joy out of teaching, which prevented them from actually learning. And what we do in District 214 is encourage our staff to learn and lead and innovate and iterate. And you know what? If something doesn't work in District 214, Jason, we call it version 1.0. Like it's completely okay to fail forward in District 214 because if everything we're doing is working, we're not pushing the envelope hard enough. Community partnerships are such a critical uh, part to you guys' program success. You mentioned a couple uh, already. Um, just give us some of the landscape of some of the partnerships that you guys have developed on this 10, 12 year journey that you've been on. Sure. I think something that's really important is when I, I've been a superintendent, this is my 23rd year. And when I started as a superintendent, it was us asking the community, the community giving to us resources or opportunities, and then us saying, thank you. Today's world is very different. In order for us to be successful in developing community partnerships, we have to provide a return on investment as to why it's important for an employer to work with us and to provide opportunities for students. Now, in today's labor market, it's fairly easy because we can provide a talent workforce for them and a, and a pipeline for them. Um, but in years past, it, all, it hasn't always been that way. So what we've encouraged our business partners to do is to not look at our students as high school juniors or seniors, but rather look at our students as college sophomores and juniors and really push them and give them projects. And, you know, it's my firm belief that our students will rise or lower themselves to the expectations set by adults. And so when the expectations are set high, our students will meet and exceed those expectations. And so working with business partners, we have a whole industry partner toolkit that anybody who, who listens to this podcast, if you'd like it, I'm happy to share it with you. Um, but really takes from 
the beginning step one, the very first conversation you have with an individual up through all the different variances of different experiences that can be housed with that partner up through and including a registered apprenticeship. Can you kind of, so, you know, Illinois, you know, it's, it's a big state, it's a diverse state, uh, up in Arlington Heights, there might be some larger businesses, uh, kind of a more metropolitan area than some other, uh, superintendents. Can you kind of speak to, can, can you do form these partnerships in smaller rural areas in Illinois? Absolutely. I was just working with some of our colleagues out in Montana and, you know, some of their school districts, you know, have 16 kids in them K-12 or 26 kids in them. And you absolutely can do this in any size district. There's no question about that, Jason. What I encourage, and this is what I did. My first superintendency was a small rural farming community in Wisconsin. And uh, I was the largest employer in that town. And so I was the employer for those work-based learning experiences. So we had students working uh, with the district on communications. I didn't have a communications person. I was the communications person, you know, and uh, at the same time, we had them working on automotives on our on our trucks and on teachers cars for uh, for automotive tech. We have them working on our HVAC system. We had them working with us on technology. So if you're in a small rural rural farming community without a significant um, maybe business presence, be your own employer and you actually can become an, uh, an official employer through the Department of Labor for registered apprenticeships. And so we have students right now that are working for us and, work, and are getting paid through the Department of Labor. And it's just, it's a wonderful opportunity for students and for our staff and, uh, and our families. Uh, your district has uh, 26 uh, industry certifications that are available you could kind of just touch on some of the different certifications you have. And I just was wondering if you could kind of share some advice to your peers about establishing these certifications uh, for their students. Absolutely. I would tell you um, that you'll get, sometimes people will get pushback or give pushback um, uh, regarding industry certifications. And it's because there can be a different level of rigor between let's say a sanitation certification or a C plus certification in tech, from the technology coding computer programming perspective. But the reality is none of that matters. If the certification is in the pathway of choice of that student, it will provide them a leg up on other individuals entering the field. And so we love industry credentials um, where possible and where it fits in with our curriculum. Obviously there can be challenges associated with that. There's some industry credentials where they have to take the test uh, offsite at a different location and the test results are reported back to them as students. So getting them to share those with us, you know, sometimes can be a little bit of a challenge, but I just tell all of everybody on this call and all of our colleagues, don't think of challenges as barriers that can't be broken through. Think of them as hurdles that you can work around and just relentlessly focus on try to get to yes. It may not happen today, it might not happen tomorrow, but if you're re relentlessly focused on getting to yes, it will happen. Yeah, when you think about the, the industry certifications, I, the the whole idea of like student uh, student loan debt can kind of comes comes to mind, and the, the idea of maybe not uh, taking on tens of thousands of dollars in debt is that one of the big appeals? And we, we kind of talk to students sort of about about this. Yeah, we also uh, do our absolute best to make sure that our students leave um, District 214 with a minimum of 15 early college credits, 
which also assists in that um, in from a student loan perspective. Um, and then we also look at partnerships. We have a promise program up here in the Northwest suburbs in partnership with Harper College. We have a wonderful Grow Your Own Teacher program with Eastern Illinois University and National Lewis University, which is very cost efficient for students. We run an early college center and anybody should consider working with Arizona State University and their Freshman Global Academy. If you pass five online courses, you're directly admitted into ASU. So I think there's great opportunities for working with post-secondary partners at this point in time to address affordability, uh, length of time, and opportunity. And in our Grow Your Own Teacher program, for example, students will go off to one of our partner organizations, National Lewis or uh, Eastern Illinois, and then if they're successful in those experiences, we'll guarantee them a student teaching experience and an interview in either our district or one of 31 neighboring districts that have agreed to be partners with our with our pathway program. And so, you know, we know the research and you know the research, Jason, that the vast majority of teachers live within 20 miles of where they went to high school. So knowing that, you know, why not grow your own in a market that is super, super, super challenging to find teachers and support staff? Let's talk about the mechanics of how students going about sort of picking a pathway. I think I read you guys, or you, you mentioned it earlier about you have a sort of a pathways guidebook. Can you just, just talk about that process and what it looks like for students? Yeah, so all of our students have to identify a career area of interest by the end of their freshman year. We're not an academy model, so all of our pathways have on-ramps and off-ramps. So if a student takes a course and they're like, whoa, this is not what I thought it should be that, or what it would be, that's totally cool try something else, head to a different pathway. If a student changes pathways more than twice, it will send a red flag to the counselor. So the counselor knows they need to sit down with that student and do some more exploration. We've redesigned our um, course selection handbook, which used to be a lot of words in either alphabetical order based on discipline. Um, and we've now created pictures and pathways and stories. We've got, um, if you're interested in um, medical science, It'll show you a, uh, a sample for your plan for you. It will include a story from or a vignette from somebody in the profession, somebody who was recently graduated, who was in the pathway, um, along with all the related activities that we offer in district for students to take advantage of, along with what kind of dual credit classes they should consider and what potential professions they could, um, they could enter, depending on if they wanted to enter the workforce after high school with an associate's degree, a bachelor's degree, or a master's or beyond. And so it's been fun to see people take a look at um, those pathways and you know just a different way of students selecting courses. Uh, and then we went through the process and completely, thanks to our amazing associate principals for instruction, we, re we rewrote every course description two years ago and every one starts with students will. And so the focus is not about the course, but on what students will experience while they're in that course. And that was a really important mindset shift for all of us. Um, and one I'm really, really thankful and proud of our APIs for leading. What are some of the outcomes your district has experienced that you just, we don't need to go over them all, but just what are some of the outcomes you're most proud of? Yeah, we have over um, 27, um, hundred work-based learning experiences that we run every year for our students. So all students have access to an external work-based learning experience while they're uh, a District 214 student, which is awesome. 
Uh, over 80% of our students who graduated last year graduated with uh, at least uh, 15 early college credits, something we're very, very proud of. And uh, the other stat I'm really proud of is we've completely eliminated the um, access to dual credit courses and dual credit achievement among all of our different demographic groups. And so um, I'm super proud of our staff and our students for some, we still have work to do for sure. I'm not suggesting we don't, we do, but I'm super proud of those uh, three data points um, and appreciate you asking. Final thoughts uh, uh, on this podcast for kind of super superintendents out there uh, listening uh, who are interested in maybe kind of beefing up some of the work that's going underway in their district? Sure. Yeah. You know, I think um, I would say do it. Go for it. Like this is the exciting stuff. This is what we love to do. The last two years we've been dealing with the day-to-day management of things. And now we can get back to leading and dreaming and building the world we want it to be for our students and our future. You know, and if you think about so long, we talked about future focus. And I just hate that. I hate that, Jason, because it's focus means thinking. Like I want to be focus driven. I want actions. I want us to do something to ensure that we're preparing our students for a world we can't yet imagine and one in which they're going to be incredibly successful. So join us on the journey. If you haven't started the work, start the work. If you've started the work, continue to put that pedal on the gas and scale up, provide more access and opportunities for every student who walks through our schoolhouse doors on a daily basis. It's a great note uh, to end the podcast on. Thank you, Dr. Schuler, for joining us. Thank you very much, Jason.